G'day, and thanks for tuning in to Stick Together for your weekly dose of union news, worker stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast right around the country on the Community Radio Network. I'm Matt Kunkel. This week on the show, we head to Sydney, where the MUA has had a significant victory in its campaign against the operators of the Manly Ferry Service, a case where there's potential for more than a million dollars in back pay for the workers there. We hear more about that when we speak with the Assistant Secretary of the MUA Sydney branch, Paul Garrett. Also on the show this week, Stick Together attended a rally out the front of a McDonald's store in Brisbane, the largest store in the Southern Hemisphere, where workers have been threatened after demanding their entitlements to a paid 10-minute break. All that coming right up, but first, some union news. Last week saw what's been called the world's largest strike, when up to 200 million workers in India laid down tools for a two-day general strike. Ten of the nation's union confederations called for the general strike against an anti-union bill proposed by the Modi government. The unions also used the stop work action to agitate for other demands, including increasing the minimum wage, ending the use of insecure contract work, ratifying ILO conventions on freedom of association and collective bargaining, and for no foreign direct investment in industries such as railway and insurance. The unions involved are calling the strike a success after bringing the nation's economy to a standstill. Workers in the rail and transport industries were very active in the dispute, with many train lines and bus networks being completely shut down. Workers held demonstrations around the nation on the second day of the strike, with some bringing further pressure to bear, shutting down other transport systems not already closed due to striking workers. Large numbers of financial sector workers took action with reports that up to $4 billion in financial exchanges were delayed by the 48 hours. Trade Union Confederation, the BMS, which is aligned to Prime Minister Modi's ruling party, the BJP, argued against the strike. Despite this, other trade union confederations report that many of the unions affiliated to the BMS joined the strike anyway, and workers joined demonstrations in different parts of the country. Support for this general strike has exceeded that shown for a similar action in 2016, which creates problems for Modi who faces election in April or May this year. That bastion of neoliberal economics, the Productivity Commission, has handed down a report calling for sweeping changes to superannuation. The report has been widely criticised by industry funds and unions. It calls for changes that would radically change the industry-based nature of default funds. In an effort to sideline the high-performing industry super funds, the Productivity Commission is arguing that a government-selected panel should decide a shortlist of the 10 best funds, which would then be presented to new workers to select from. The Productivity is also calling on any terms and enterprise agreements that prescribe the default funds for employees to be invalidated. Many unions negotiate terms into agreements that mandate funds and ensure employers do not do deals with the lower-performing retail funds. Currently, workers have new accounts started with industry super funds, which have union representatives on the boards. The Commission's report includes calls for harsher regulation of board members in what could be perceived as a continuation of the Liberal government's ideological campaign to exclude union representatives from superannuation, a program that unions created. The Morrison government is using the report to try and force the Labor opposition into supporting widespread superannuation changes. The Labor Party has rejected the reform, citing the outcomes of the Royal Commission into banking, showing that industry supermodel is outperforming the banks and retail funds, not just on financial returns, but on their ethical practices. Workers at MSF Sugar, Australia's largest sugarcane farming business, are breathing a sigh of relief after they defeated attempts by their employer to terminate their enterprise agreement. 
The workers from the regional Queensland town of Meribara have, with the assistance of their union, the AWU, been able to achieve a rare legal defence of an EBA in the Commission. If the company had have been successful in terminating their agreement, it would have meant pay cuts of up to 20% for those at the plant. The story at the sugar factory takes on what will be a familiar arc for regular listeners. After negotiations for a new EBA stalled, with the company giving no ground to union demands and seeking big cuts to working conditions, they filed to have the existing agreement terminated, which would see the workers only entitled to be paid the basic minimum standards in the award. This tactic has been widely used by large employers in historically unionised workplaces. Awards have not kept pace with enterprise bargaining outcomes and are now dismally deficient when compared to union negotiated EBAs. In some cases, the termination of EBAs has led to wage cuts of over 40%. The practice of companies seeking to unilaterally terminate union agreements has risen by more than 40% in the last four years, sparked by a landmark decision where Queensland's recently privatised rail operator, Horizon, overcame previous precedent to terminate their agreement. The news comes on the back of other news out of the AWU, where they have announced that they will appeal the Fair Work Commission's decision to terminate the Enterprise Agreement for Alcoa's West Australian operations, where workers took 53 days of strike action in attempts to force the company to withdraw its application. It appears that as employers see the prospect of IR changes on the horizon, many are rushing to utilise the broken rules while they can to wipe away decades of union struggle and improved conditions. Supporters of Bahrain-born soccer player Hakim Al-Arabi protested in Sydney last week demanding his release from the Thai prison where he is now in his eighth week of detention. Hakim, who formerly played soccer for his country, successfully sought asylum in Australia after he was arrested and tortured in his home country for speaking out against the treatment of Bahraini footballers who supported the Arab Spring. The Footballers' Union, the PFA, has been working with refugee advocates, human rights defenders and the sports community to pressure Thailand to release Hakim. Hakim has been convicted in absentia and sentenced to 10 years imprisonment for vandalising a police station. This is despite there being live television footage of him playing football at the time of the crime. He had asked the Australian government whether it was safe for him to travel to Thailand, but the government failed to warn him that there was a warrant for his arrest before he head on his honeymoon there in November. This warrant has since been rescinded by Interpol because it broke with their regulations of not seeking to return people to countries once they have been found to be a refugee. The union, Professional Footballers Australia, is rallying support amongst other sports unions and raising pressure on the Asian Football Confederation to intervene, as the head of the AFC also happens to be the cousin of the King of Bahrain. A statement from President of the ACTU, Michelle O'Neill, said that, Our number one concern is for the safe return to Australia of Mr Al Rabi, an Australian resident and an Australian union member. It is unacceptable to our movement and to the values of working people that an Australian union member has been imprisoned in a foreign country at the request of a country that wants to torture him and possibly end his life. You can find out more about the campaign by heading to Twitter and looking up the hashtag SaveHakim. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. For many young people, their first jobs will be in a place like a fast food restaurant or a retail business. But with young worker education absent from the official curriculum of schools, many teenagers start work not knowing their workplace rights and entitlements. 
This leads to young workers being exploited by unscrupulous bosses. One such example is happening at McDonald's, where a survey by the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union showed that 90% of McDonald's workers reported not getting their legally mandated 10-minute paid work breaks. Now, workers in one franchise have been threatened by management after they began requesting these 10-minute breaks. The employer threatened to deny them the right to go to the toilet or grab a drink of water outside of these break times if they stood up for their rights. Stick Together's Craig Garrett attended a rally of McDonald's workers and their supporters out the front of a store in Brisbane. He filed this report. On Friday, January 11, representatives and members of the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, RAFWU, stood alongside ex-McDonald's employees demanding McDonald's workers be allowed to take their rightful toilet breaks and rest breaks. Stick Together spoke to Josh Cullinan, Secretary of RAFU, Doug Castles, RAFU member, and Bill Smith, the South East Queensland organiser for the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. First I asked Doug why he was protesting. My name's uh, Doug Castles, I'm a member of RAFU, the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, and I'm here protesting today because um, McDonald's um, in many, many of the stores doesn't give their employees the 10 minute toilet breaks. And they try and palm that off by saying you get free drinks all the time, but every worker is entitled to their 10 minute breaks. It's in the legislation. And these, um, this corporation, it's exploiting young workers who don't know better. And we're here um, standing up for them. Did you used to work at McDonald's, is that right? It was actually my first job as a 15 year old. And I don't remember ever getting a 10 minute rest break. Again, I didn't know, but I was a 15 year old. So I'm trying to help out workers who are in the same situation as I was. At 15, did you feel that you knew you are right? Not at all. I had no idea. I was just a kid. I was working at school. I was like, this is my first job. Like, I just got to do what they tell me. And when you've got a union like the SDA who doesn't stand up for their workers, like, you've really got nowhere to go to. And that's why that's what, why RAFU is here. Like, we're, we're a union movement that's by workers for workers. And we're here to tell them, we, we know your rights. If you don't know your rights, you think you're being exploited, come talk to us and we'll sort you out. Since you don't work at McDonald's anymore, where do, you, where do you work now? I work at Woolworths, which, I mean, is arguably not much better because they're a massive corporation as well, but I still get breaks, so there's something. And you've got to work. You need money, right? You're like, I do need money, yeah. What do we want? Toilet breaks. When do we want them? Now. What do we want? Toilet breaks. When do we want them? Now. So it's Josh Cullinan, and I'm the Secretary of the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. And um, can you just give us a bit of an idea about why there is a group of people protesting outside of Brisbane McDonald's today? Sure. So this is the uh, this is quite historic. It's the first uh, worker-led protest against McDonald's in Australia's history. Um, and why we're here is because we've got a situation where there are no ten, well, there are right to paid 10-minute breaks. Um, and paid 10-minute breaks for workers working four-hour or longer shifts and they haven't been implemented. And when we commenced our campaign two months ago and started pushing McDonald's to implement it, this franchisee that runs six or seven franchises across Brisbane, Tantex Holding is, is what it's called, they responded by directing staff that if they dared stand up and take their paid 10-minute break, they would be banned from accessing the toilets or clean drinking water outside of that break. Is that actually legal to stop people from being able to drink water at work? It's not legal at all. Every workplace has to have safe systems of work and a system of work that doesn't provide workers access to water and toilets just cannot be a safe system. So we're very concerned that they're not only breaking the law on that, 
They're denying people their workplace right, another break of the law. They're threatening workers as well. And that's another break of the workplace right. And the way to fix it is by workers expressing power. And that's by doing what we're doing today. And do you see this as just a, an issue for this particular franchisee or this particular franchisee in Brisbane? Or does this go national? No, absolutely, it's a national issue. We did a survey in November and uh, in three days we had 300 responses. 92% had never had a paid rest break for their four-hour shifts. People get told all the time that if they try and access these BRACs, what they're going to have is exactly what's happened here. Bans on toilet access, bans on water. This is an issue across McDonald's and it needs fixing right across the country. What do you hope the outcome is going to be for um, all this sort of action? Well, there's all different parts to our campaign, but clearly mobilising workers together and having the solidarity from our comrades at the CFMEU, from Unite in Brisbane and from other organisations helps draw attention and helps impact on McDonald's. We're hopeful that McDonald's will take this seriously and take responsibility for what's happening to these very young workers right across the country that they employ. It's high time that they fixed it. Thank you so much for speaking with Stick Together today. Thanks for having me. Bill Smith, uh, I'm the uh, South East Queensland organiser for the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. And um, look, we're all here outside of the McDonald's in the city here in Brisbane. Just wondering uh, what, what your reasons are for kind of calling this action. My reasons for calling this action is because there's uh, these, these young kids that are being exploited and then when they do stand up for themselves, they all of a sudden they say, well, if you want that 10 minute break, you can't go to the toilet, can't get a drink of water. Basic human rights, not, not just worker rights, basic human rights to have access to, to, to the water and to facilities. You know, and, and they, these kids, are, they're all 16, 17, 18 year olds, you know, uh, working on a pittance here in town. They've got to catch a train here in the town and, 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 and it's, uh, they're lacking the penalty rates. Um, I'm, I'm proud as, of my union that we're out here standing up for them, you know. We're, we're out here today to educate, agitate and organise. So that's, that's what we're about. We've, we've got flyers here letting the, letting the public know, because a lot of the public don't know that, that those kids are being exploited out behind that, that wall. We, we just see, see a kid and, and, then, and then the only thing that, that we say about them is, is that, that one time in, in, in five that they muck up our order and, and they're the worst person in the world, you know. No, these kids, they work hard. It's not their fault that you, that you fries wasn't in there. It's, it's their manager's fault for not putting on enough staff. Think, we're just standing up for their rights. We're not trying to negotiate a huge EBA. We're, we're, we're not trying to go over... This is just... We're just standing up for rights. Now, if we're a militant union, if I'm militant for, for that, well, guilty as charged, you know? I'll stand up for workers' rights any day of the week. What do we do when we want to go to the toilet? That's right, comrades. We've got to stand up and fight back just to go to the bathroom around here for a glass of water. Yeah, first of all, let me just start by saying that if you didn't know anyone called Noah before, now you know a guy. Now, my story is uh, I started at that McDonald's just over in that corner in uh, 2012, and I was there in 2000, until 2015. Throughout that time, I worked in every position. I was hired into the back area, made my way up to the front counter, then I was a crew trainer, and then finally I was a manager in training. Um, 
I left that store for a number of different reasons, not just the different brakes or anything like that, although I can confirm that uh, during my time there in the three years, I don't think I was ever given a single 10-minute paid break. If I did want a toilet break, I'd have to run and run back as quickly as I could, or I would have fear of getting my hours cut for the next week. Um, on top of this, when I was 17 only, I was doing the overnight shifts here in the city, so I would be dealing with drunk people and all sorts. Um, such a young age, without proper training, when I wasn't even allowed to be here by myself. I wasn't certified, I shouldn't have been left alone, and then I'd come in and get yelled at for things that I wasn't even taught. I would just like to thank everyone for actually finally picking it up. I know that I'll be speaking to a few of the other fellow members of the Maya Center McDonald's over there. And we're all in agreement that this has taken way too long to come out, and it's great that something's finally been done and said about it. So thank you all guys for being here. That was ex-McDonald's worker Noah Nicholson ending that report. We also heard from Josh Cullinan, RAFWU secretary, Doug Castles, RAFWU member, and Bill Smith, the South East Queensland organiser for the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. You're listening to Stick Together. The NRMA is one of Australia's largest membership organisations, providing services to motorists in New South Wales. They also administer a large group of businesses, predominantly in the tourism industry. In 2017, they bought the company that provides the Manly Ferry Service, taking passengers from Manly to Sydney's Circular Quay. Prior to the sale, the MUA had been in a long-running dispute about wages and conditions there. The union claims that workers at Manly Fast Ferry were being underpaid when compared against the award. Recently, the union has taken a huge step forward in their campaign for wage justice with a win in the Fair Work Commission. This win creates new opportunities for the workers who now say industrial action is not off the cards. To find out more, we spoke with the Assistant Secretary of the Sydney branch of the MUA, Paul Garrett. Well, we've been trying for about three years prior to when NRMA brought in in 2017 uh, to organise the site. We had some good success there in organising it, but effectively you had a business that was operating the high-speed ferry run between Circular Quay and Manly with some additional uh, add-on runs there. But the company had set up their business model trying to use an incorrect award, which actually doesn't pay penalty rates on weekends. And what they were arguing, that a ferry wasn't a ferry, but it was a tourist vessel and a charter vessel, and therefore they didn't have to pay the applicable rates of pay. We went back in before the Fair Work Commission on several occasions and couldn't get a ruling. And you had a company that was hiding behind legal technicalities so that they just didn't have to pay workers properly. And what can you tell me now about the current wages and conditions of the workers at what is now the NRMA's Manly Fast Ferry? Well, we're in an interesting quagmire. Uh, my Fast Ferry is in a seven-year contract with the New South Wales government to run the high-speed ferry services. But they're three years and nine months into that seven-year contract and still don't have an applicable industrial agreement. You have the deckhands on board the vessel. They were asked to vote on the document on four occasions. The company couldn't get the document up. So they flooded the place with casuals and got the document up by literally one vote. That went before the Fair Work Commission. The Fair Work Commission approved it for reasons we never understood. We appealed it and ultimately uh, that agreement was knocked out. But you've got a situation here, there now where all the workers still don't know what their actual industrial agreement is because the Commission hasn't made a definitive decision and the company's trying to apply agreements that just don't apply. As we do this interview today, the union's actually written through to My Fast Ferry and the NRMA, the parent company, and even had to put good faith bargaining orders just to get the company to confirm what the hourly rate of pay is across the workforce. The wages are reportedly $136 a week less than the award. How could an agreement like that actually be passed by the Fair Work Commission? 
Well, we'll never understand the original decision of the Fair Work Commission. It was abundantly clear that that document failed the better off overall test. I prepared a witness statement, as you have to do, and my witness statement was some 330-odd pages and included all the evidence of the failings. The company didn't even challenge the evidence. They accepted the evidence, yet the Fair Work Commission knocked it back. We don't know how it was ever knocked back. And when you have a look at the wage calculations there, it's just black and white that it pays less than the award. We got an example uh, when we were going through the certification process and sampled 20-odd 20, uh, so 20 members. And 15 of those 20 or 75% of the workers were earning less than the award. In one example, we've seen some workers were earning $350 a fortnight less than the award. So no one knows how that was approved, but the decision of the full bench to... Uh, knocked that agreement out was the right one because clearly the Fair Work Commission made some errors. So you've had a victory in the Fair Work Commission. You, as you said, you went in front of the full bench and they've thrown out this agreement on appeal. What does that actually mean for the workers there now? Well, what it means for the workers is insecurity and uncertainty moving forward because, again, they've thrown it out, and but they've sent it back to the uh, original member who heard it to go and hear it again it, but to take into effect their decision. We believe that common sense has to apply now and this agreement has to be quashed in full. But as for the workers, it means going back in and testing their industrial position. The masters are currently negotiating their enterprise agreement as well. And the company, after four months, still will not put a position on the table. We'll have to go to industrial action, I think. And for the workers too, and this is the hardest part, you've got, and we would argue the best harbour in the world, you've got 120-odd, 130-odd ferry workers and there's no permanence. We're four years into a government contract, yet no one's made permanent. Everyone's casual at the moment, and the company likes that. Because if anyone speaks up, they attempt to uh, uh, get rid of them or just roster them less hours. I mean, there's a term there at my fast ferry called death by roster. If you speak out of turn once, they cut your shifts. But what we've seen now and what the union's been proud of is that the workers have stood up and said, we've had enough, we're doing a good job, we do a great job, we move millions of passengers every year and we want this fixed. It's reported that the workers are owed probably more than a million dollars in back pay. How does that start to flow through to the workers? Well, that's a very interesting question. We've had initial discussions with the company this week, and of course they're denying that there's any back pay to be paid. We have to now go through a process of uh, calling in members' wages and basically uh, going to the court system now um, and seeking underpayment claims and orders through the courts. This is the problem with the Fair Work Act. Once again, it's got to go through an extensive bit of litigation, but... Look, we're not going to do this quietly or silently. Workers shouldn't have to continue to pay solicitors just to get the money they're entitled to. So if it's a public campaign, we'll take that on. It'll be the easy opportunity for both my fast ferry and the NRMA to come to the table and have a meaningful discussion. If they don't, it's off to the court systems. And if, again, if there's an industrial response um, to get the rate of pay, so be it. The Fair Work Act's got to catch up and got to stop this wage theft that's been going on for too long now. And that brings me to my next question, which is, what does it say about our industrial relations system that a company can be found to be underpaying staff for so long, and even after all this time and a finding against them in the commission, that they still aren't paying the correct wages? Well, it goes to show the weaknesses of the Fair Work Act. It's just morphed out since 2008 into a document that's completely against workers. It was only one step better than uh, work choices. And what you see in the Fair Work Act is the inability for uh, workers to get relief through the Fair Work Commission process. I mean, what the companies are hiding behind now is that if you have to go to the Federal Circuit Court to claim wages, you're looking at 18 months to get back in. Casual workers can't afford that time. Casual workers can't afford the solicitors to do, go through that process. It's only the unions that can put resources in to do it, and then it's expensive as well. What does it say about the system? The system's broken, and that's why the ACTU is running the Change Rules campaign. 
If you're underpaid, it shouldn't take you two to three years of your life going through court systems to get that money back. There should be an easy one-stop shop where workers can roll up, demonstrate their weakness if the company won't resolve it, get that order made and get that enforced within 28 days or sooner. Coming back to something you said earlier about the way the agreement was approved, the, the union put in submissions that it was not made properly. Can you give us a bit more information about that? The full bench also adopted concerns with the casuals. It was endorsed by one vote. When you go through and have these agreements endorsed, it's obviously 50% plus one of the workers who participate in the vote um, have to endorse it, and that's what we've seen. The full bench picked up examples which was ignored in the original certification of at least five uh, casuals who weren't working in the business. You know, there was one casual who was uh, left and was working overseas, another casual hadn't worked for four months, another casual had stood down to another job. There's three votes there that absolutely should not have been considered. Yet, for some reason that we still don't understand, it was approved. So now that you've won this termination of this agreement in effect, what's next in the campaign? We've gone back and spoken to NRMA. We've asked them to get out to get involved. We've uh, also gone and had a talk to the company or tried to attempt the company. Fortunately, uh, the boss is uh, on annual leave and they are funding that through some of the money that should have gone back to the workers. We've got other EA negotiations set up for the uh, some other members within the business next week, so we'll be attending to those meetings. But importantly, what we'll also be doing, as I said, we're going through all the back pay calculations. We'll be putting on uh, the company once again next week uh, to pay those. And in the absence of that, we'll be back through the court process. But equally, we'll be uh, dealing with this on the job. And we've got a state election coming up in March. And we've spoken to the minister and his office in regards to the underpayment now for 12 months. And there's a federal election coming up too. So if we can highlight this wage theft and what's happening to workers, not only in this business around Australia, then say, Bert, let's get it out there. But at the end of the day, these are people who have worked full-time for years. They might be uh, employed as casual. They're full-time for years. They should be paid appropriately. And we'll do everything to do it. And if it comes to the ultimate decision about whether services have to stop to draw people's attention to it, then that's a discussion that the workers are prepared to have. They said they don't want to go on strike. They love serving the customers and they love moving people. They take pride in their job. But there's been a number of workers already said, if we have to withdraw our labour to get our money, so be it. And if any company wants to stand in the way of that all government, we'll take them on as well. And that's just the fighting spirit of MUA members. And finally, Paul, if there are people out there listening who are members of the NRMA, what can they do to help the workers on the ferry service? Get in contact with the NRMA, jump on social media, ring the line, drop an email in. Just ask what's going on and why this wage theft's allowed. We've had some members uh, uh, of the NRMA who uh, know of the situation here go along to the AGM and put the question straight uh, to the CEO, Rowan McLund, at the AGM about why this wage theft's allowed to continue. Now, he said he'll get involved uh, and change things, but nothing's really moved from the NRMA's perspective. The NRMA's done a good job over many, many decades looking after motorists. Why they got involved in a ferry service and bought a business that's involved in wage theft is well outside their usual business model. But as NRMA members, you should get involved and ask that question because it's not good enough and that pressure should be put back on them. Well, that's all we have time for this week on the show. Thanks to Paul Garrett and all those who spoke to us at the rally in Brisbane. Stood Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR with generous financial assistance from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Though you can do your bit to keep worker stories on the air by calling your local community radio station and subscribing today. You can contact the producers of the show by calling 03 9419 8377 or sending us an email to sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Stick Together Program. The podcasts of this and other recent episodes can be found by heading to 3cr.org.au 
forward slash stick together or looking us up on iTunes. Finally, remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. I'm Matt Kunkel. Until next time, stick together.